You're listening to Attention, the audio journal for architecture. This is issue number five, the question of theory. This first piece addresses the question, what is theory? It features contributions by Joseph Godlewski, Jake Matatyao, John May, Ginger Nolan, Brian Norwood, Ivan Santoya Orozco, Meredith Tenhor, and Marika Trotter. This issue of attention addresses the increasingly pressing topic of what the fate and future of theory is in architecture. It does so through the lens of questions and issues surrounding how we teach theory today. It begins with this first piece on the question, what is theory? Before talking about architecture specifically, we opened our conversation with the general and often difficult attempt to define theory as a term or as a concept. This involved addressing ideas of abstraction, generalization, science, discourse, language, and rhetoric, as well as the persistent oppositions between theory and practice, theory and history, theory as engaged and instrumental, or theory as reflective and critical. In attempting to address theory in the abstract, the difficulty of such an endeavor became evident, and the need to think theory's history became increasingly clear. We begin with Joseph Godlewski and Yvonne Santoya Orozco, who reflect on the etymology and the usefulness of the term theory. They explain how theory is difficult to define and is often understood in opposition to terms such as practice and history. First, here's Joseph Godlewski. Because what is theory is such a basic question, and I teach theory courses to first-year undergraduates, and so they, they ask questions like this. But it, it kind of sends you to looking up the etymological roots, and you know you find yourself reading Raymond Williams' keywords, the Greek root, how it's about to contemplate, and right from the beginning, it's always been set in contrast to practice. I feel as though some of those things run out. For it to have a kind of resonance, you need to bring it up to the present and give an, an example of, of how it gets tested. We move now to Yvonne Santoya Orozco. I think we can today perhaps think that we are, have moved beyond the etymological connotation, that perhaps, uh, you know, if we think about theory, yeah, that simply involves consideration. Today, it's also kind of the capacity to transform those contemplations, to transform that epistemological formation. My take on theory, on the term itself, is really influenced here outright with this beautiful moment in which Foucault talk about theory as a philosophical engagement with the world, with the present. So it's on the one hand a form of interrogating how the conditions in which we are came into being, but also as the possibility to move beyond them. So part of it, part of thinking about what is theory, is an analysis and also a speculation. For me, theory, it is also not only a form of seeing, thinking, and analyzing, but it's also to destabilize our knowledge of the world. I mean, it's also, on the one hand, a means to critically engage with the present, but it also has a means to produce new knowledge that has kind of the potential to open new ways to challenge the present, perhaps. So yes, it's epistemological, but it also has um, a latent capacity to open up new worlds, I think. Theory, it's stronger when it learns from other, from its opposites, from its other discourses. I, well, sometimes it's very useful to have, to, to play with, with dualities, with dichotomies, history versus theory, 
practice versus theory. Theory is perhaps that tool that helps us kind of bridge, but in a critical way, of course, it helps us bridge through other discourses, through other dominant opposites. In what follows, Brian Norwood and Ginger Nolan both offer a view of theory as a tool to question our assumptions. I think of theory as a way of challenging basic assumptions, what we might call common sense and good sense in some practice, and doing that by asking questions about how things hold together, why things hold together in a certain way in that practice or in a world. Ginger Nolan. I mean, I think in academic discourses and the theoretical has to do with a certain questioning of assumptions, questioning of the means through which we formulate our constructions. I mean, architectural constructions, but also rhetorical constructions and discursive constructions. Meredith Tenhor addressed the question of what is theory by looking at the relationship between theory and history. Theory has been so many things over time and is so many things for different people, but I think of it as concepts and forms of reading that help us understand the world, identify patterns, and make narrative out of history. So for me, theory is deeply embedded in historical and interpretive practice, and it's present even when we least notice it. And yet it's something whose absence we feel when we get lost in details or seem to be swimming in them. Theory is the thing that kind of saves us and helps us make sense or make an argument out of them. In contrast, Brian Norwood answered the question by looking instead at the relationship between theory and philosophy. I know some people will make a distinction between philosophy and theory. Philosophy is a sort of abstract practice that is pure intellectual exercise, uh, where theory, in contrast, would be some sort of applied reflection or applied discourse. You know, maybe that's useful to some extent, but I'm not particularly sold on that as being a terminological distinction between theory and practice. I mean, it's probably worth thinking about certain intellectual exercises that are abstract and certain ones that are applied. But calling that philosophy versus theory, I, I don't think it's a particularly useful distinction. So I would say philosophy and theory a lot of times can be used interchangeably, or if they're not being used interchangeably, they're at least very close ways of describing kind of practice of thinking reflectively about what we do and kind of where we are in the world. In what follows, Marika Trotter, John May, and Jake Matatiao discuss theory's instrumentality and its relationship to language, rhetoric, and problem-solving. Marika argues that theory should be seen as an instrument that fosters change. John conversely argues that theory should not be seen as instrumental or immediately useful, but rather as always acknowledging the ungraspability of truth and the limits of knowledge. Jake in some agreement with Marika, argues that theory should be engaged with the world, but in a dialogical and self-critical manner. First off, Marika Trotter. The way I understand theory nowadays is it is a way of connecting philosophy as kind of a pure intellectual activity or pursuit with disciplinarily specific problems. So you could have literary uh, theory, uh, for example, you certainly have art theory, you can have theories of all kinds of things, but they're basically that. They're taking large questions and large ideas and large concepts posed by philosophy at any moment in time and attempting to find a way to make those meaningful to a specific discipline. 
I don't think theory is philosophy light. In fact, I think theory can often be philosophy heavy because in the process of connecting something that is a discipline that remains um, kind of untethered from specifics, oftentimes, um, to specific concerns and specific ways of thought and specific ways of action, actually you're finding material that challenges and resists philosophy on its own, uh, forces compromise, but also forces specificity. So for me, theory can often be way more useful and way more challenging intellectually and way more rigorous than philosophy, which I think of as a very kind of uh, limited discipline that uh, mostly speaks to itself. So it pursues its own inquiries, whereas the moment that you take philosophy and kind of make it do work, you're radically challenging it, but also ripping it out of its own domain and making it into something that has intellectual specificity and intellectual rigor that is capable of producing change in the world. So otherwise, I don't really think that philosophy by itself can ever produce real effects. Uh, I don't think that it can ever do more than inspire people theoretically. But the moment that a theorist in a specific discourse takes on something philosophically and kind of pulls it into trying to make some difference or trying to perturbate or um, in inflect some line of thinking or some line of acting within that, that specific discipline, well, that's when philosophy goes to work. And that's when philosophy actually starts to matter. And I don't think without theory you would ever have philosophy as something of account. I don't think philosophy would ever actually be in the position to make a difference. John May. I think to my mind, it's one of these terms that has been stretched so far beyond its original meanings that it maybe is not always productive to try to pin it down in any kind of exactitude. I guess on my own view, the what's far more important is how or whether someone's particular theoretical attitude maintains a connection to certain kinds of questions about language and existence, which is to say that their attitude or the sort of atmosphere of a theoretical project, whether it remains conscious of the fact that ultimately it must remain somehow connected to questions that are meaningful only insofar as they're unanswerable. From my own experience over time, the, the forms of theory that I find least satisfying are those in which the style or mood of the theoretical approach bear heavily on rhetoric or instrumental application. Because if it's true that ultimately one's approach must maintain a connection to these fundamentally unanswerable questions, then something like debate or argumentation is rendered relatively superfluous, which isn't to say that theory can't be useful but I've come to maintain a relatively uh, strict attitude regarding the anti-instrumentality of theoretical approaches and a deep suspicion of those that aim towards any kind of immediate application or utility. Marika Trotter again. Theory is more instrumental, but maybe not in a bad way. Like I think people think about in instrumentalization as somehow the depletion of a more pure or more ethically uh, sound line of investigation. I would say what we ask of philosophy is that it is brought to bear, and that bringing to bear happens in theory. Now here's Jake Matatiao to add his thoughts to how theory is instrumental, but also dialogical and self-critical. 
like philosophy for Deleuze, like responds to an urgency or a need. And in that way, I see it as a tool for helping us think about a concrete problem in the world. I think it's not something that can be done kind of in a vacuum without sort of having an urgency or need or a problem. It, 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 of course, it can be, and it often is done that way. But I think it, it ends up being kind of weak and just sort of an internal conversation. I wouldn't want to do theory for theory's sake. That's something that doesn't sort of interest me. When you talk about like a theory of X or a theory of blank, I could substitute like I have an idea about or I have a hunch about or I have a suspicion of. And so like I'm going to spend some time thinking about it. And and that thinking to me is always kind of like discursive um, or dialogical. So it's always like the more than one. Like, of course, it's probably going to start as a dialogue with yourself. You're going to question, hopefully have an open mind and start questioning sort of received assumptions or notions about whatever it is that you're thinking about. And then hopefully that opens up a larger conversation with the more than one. Hopefully it opens up conversations with others and hopefully that your theory or your hunch or your idea or your suspicion is then open to revision and self-critique, like an internal reflection. And that theory that grows or dies might not longer be any valid because of the reflection or the kind of test of opinion, right? The test of public reason or something like that. The kind of theory that I would want to avoid is a theory that shuts people out from the conversation because of its overly technical language. And that language over time I've seen to be exclusionary. And so just because someone doesn't speak a certain language of theory doesn't mean they don't have a theory about what they're working on, right? I want a much more broader, open, welcoming, inviting conception of what theory is or can be without it being limited to um, a certain number of thinkers, authors, ideas, concepts, and terms. John May again. We have disciplines of knowledge which are committed to problem solving. We have the sciences, we have the, the applied sciences such as engineering, um, medicine, things like that. And obviously they make their own kinds of theoretical claims. In the humana, in what we now today call the humanities, if we adopt that same rhetorical instrumental approach to our own thought, then we have, on my view, lost a fundamental dimension of what thought is capable of. And we've lost a fundamental freedom of thought because there's a certain kind of discourse in which all of life is, saw, is, is framed as a problem in need of solution. And that obviously is the dominant cultural discourse today. If you look around, I mean, of course, we know that science and engineering dictate the terms of social reality for us today. But I think to the extent that theory and philosophy allow themselves to be swept up in those same forms of instrumentality and rhetoric, uh, then they've, they've sliced off precisely that which vitalizes them and which allows them to remain connected to certain kinds of fundamental questions, which are, on my view, fundamentally unanswerable questions, and that's what makes them perennially or persistently interesting. We have this, um, this old phrase that all epistemology begins in fear, which I'm not sure that's entirely necessary or true. I, I might modify that and say that all epistemology begins in curiosity, for sure, at least all genuine epistemology begins in curiosity. And, and yes, to the extent that one confines one entire theoretical or philosophical project to addressing questions that one assumes there must be answers to, then I think uh, we have sliced off or uh, at least reduced down the capacity of thought to contain certain forms of curiosity and wonderment that have been crucial for 
producing attitudes towards life that are really about what makes life living rather than what makes it merely possible to survive in some way. I'm sure that there are critiques of that that would call that a kind of romantic attitude, but I'm not so sure it's that simple. I think ultimately there are certain fundamental questions about what language is capable of in the world. The analytic mindset, which is the instrumental and is the rhetorical mindset, which is fundamentally about argumentation and debate and proof of facts. This is a mindset for whom um, language fundamentally clarifies the world. And I think that one can find extremely compelling philosophical projects throughout history, not just with the Greeks, but from the Greeks onward, for counter-arguments that language maybe doesn't clarify the world, maybe in fundamental ways are the spoken word or the written word covers over certain fundamental realities in the world and that therefore it must be approached delicately and that those realities are things that have to be in a way danced around and moved around and that they have to exist at the level of the sort of atmosphere or style or mood of one's theoretical approach rather than within the precision or exactitude of one's language. Ginger and Meredith conclude this piece on the question of what is theory, with remarks on the political aspects of theoretical work. Ginger's focus is on theory as a question of authority, and Meredith's is on the legacy of French theory and how theory made academic work more political. First off, Ginger Nolan. Theory has to do with the raising questions about the way we use language and other forms of rhetoric, um, including the visual. Thinking of this more in a pedagogic context than in a kind of comprehensive sense. So for example, what kinds of power structures, what epistemic frameworks enable us to make rhetorical formulations? And who is authorized to write or design on behalf of whom? according to what ideological assumptions, what economic systems or social hierarchies. And I would add also through what kinds of media and how those media shape what we can say and how we say it. And I think those questions can be posed in very explicit terms, or they can be more implicit to the kind of methodology of an author and the kinds of questions that author raises. But I think in general, theory is a way to establish authority. And I think it serves that both, you know, within the profession and pedagogically. And finally, Meredith Tenhall. When I was an undergraduate in the 1990s in the U.S., theory had also a pretty specific connotation and one that has stuck with me for quite some time, one that I think has also infected architecture schools. Um, So I'm thinking really of what was brought to the United States as French theory and then some of the work that came from that. So the work of Lucie Rigorai and Julia Kristeva, Jacques Derrida, Félix Guattari, Gilles Deleuze, and also Gertrude Spivak and Judith Butler, all of whom I think helped to open up new concepts. I guess I should add Edward Said, of course, who seemed to make academic work political. So I think we have to understand theory and some of its recent lineages in academic context in relationship to that big import that happened in the late 60s, early 70s, and continued through the 80s and 90s. Their work seemed to make interpretive acts matter. Uh, to make the act of writing or researching into something that would have political significance and, and ethical significance as well. In all these opening thoughts on our question, what is theory? A coherent set of definitions, understandings and tensions emerged. Theory was defined as a way of challenging assumptions and questioning present realities and the way our discourse is formed and maintained. It was defined as a set of concepts, 
a language and a discourse. It was defined as a way of thinking, a style of thought, and a way of reading. And it was defined in terms of a particular task, of the task of seeking to make sense of the world and forming narrative understanding that moves us from the particular to the general through modes of abstraction. For this reason, theory is in some tension with history, that is, in its more recent 20th century professional incarnation, vocationally concerned with concrete details and facts. Yet theory cannot be separated from history, as a true questioning of assumptions would involve questioning one's own temporal embeddedness. It is ultimately this engagement between abstraction and concreteness which lends theory its sense of agency in contrast, for example, to the discipline of philosophy. Some of our interlocutors defined theory as, by definition, instrumental, in contrast to philosophy. Theory has been called philosophy light, particularly in the sense of French theory. It has come to name a more portable form of thought that is free to deploy its concepts across disciplinary boundaries and in confrontation with the analysis of particular material realities. It is this agility that is what can make theory more capable of engaging with a rapidly evolving world, and, some believe, capable of fostering change in the world. This is what links the term theory to the connotations of being inherently political, and what has led, in recent years, to it becoming part of a general politicization of academic work. Yet the term theory also has a deeper historical legacy that precedes this late 20th century incarnation, one that goes back to the origins of philosophy and a sense of wonder at the natural world, a sense of wonder which was also coincident with the birth of science. This tradition and interrelation with science is what potentially links theory to a positivistic conception of authoritatively grasping the world through clear concepts and language without any hubris of its own limits. Though at the same time, this same philosophical tradition should be said to contain a reflexive, dialectical conception of the acquisition of knowledge as always asymptotic. If theory is a form of discourse and rhetoric, then of course it is, like all uses of language, imbued with structures of social power and authority. Though theory can also be understood as containing self-criticism of this authority. Theory, we should always insist, has a much longer dialogical and self-critical history. In this history, theory can be understood as free and inherently reflexive as a form of thought, one that stands in internal tension with the very idea of theory as a positive conviction about knowledge and language. After this high-level throat clearing around the very idea of theory in general, we turn next to ask more specifically about what is architectural theory, and about what architectural theory is as a historical phenomenon. You've been listening to Attention, the audio journal for architecture. Issue 5, The Question of Theory. Issue 5 was written and directed by Joseph Bedford and was edited and produced by Ari Korati. Thanks to the Graham Foundation for generous support. <laughs>